My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. 16. Um, and at this point, Paul feels like that he's pretty much said everything that he's been led to say to them. And this is how he's going to kind of end the letter. And you can kind of tell uh, that this letter kind of has a, a little bit of a different feel, uh, or this chapter has a little bit of a different feel than maybe the other chapters. Um, as I was kind of studying this and looking, like, looking at this, um, it feels more like, um, like when, you, when you're getting off the phone with someone. You know what I'm talking about? Like whenever you're about to hang up and you're kind of like, okay, let's just reiterate a few things real quick. And, and, and oh, and I forgot to mention this real fast. You know, hey, say hi to the family for me. Uh, tell the family, uh, or, or, and then did the family say hi to me back, right, that are there? Like that's kind of what it feels like almost is he's kind of hanging up the phone a little bit. And so um, we're going to kind of look at it a little bit in that way. So uh, the first thing um, is, the first thing he says as he's kind of hanging up the phone, he's like, oh, oh, wait, one last thing before I go. Let me, let me remind you of this one last thing before I go. So let's uh, go ahead and dig in. Um, I'll, I'll have verses one through four on the screen for you. Uh, if you don't have it, and if you've got your Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse one, or if you've got your phone or whatever you have, 1 Corinthians 16, verse one through four. Let's read this first, and then uh, we'll kind of look this a little bit. He says this to them, all right? He's saying, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. The first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, uh, they will accompany me. All right. So it's almost like he's saying, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Before I go, there's this one thing that I need to remind you guys about, and that is the collection that I am taking up for some believers in Jerusalem that are hurting, some believers in Jerusalem that are in need. They are lacking, right? And so he's telling, as he goes around uh, these regions, right, and he's going around um, regions that are, they're not Jewish people, they're Gentiles, and he's taking up a collection from the Gentiles for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. The Gentile believers, he's taking a collection for the Jewish believers over here. And so Paul, I don't know what his motivation behind this was. It could be that he just felt terrible because he was one of the people uh, that caused so much uh, need in Jerusalem as he persecuted Christians and as he kind of chased them down. Maybe he was like, I need to somehow make up for all the harm that I've caused these people whenever I was a Pharisee once. And, uh, and so he's taking, he, but no matter what, maybe, maybe he's trying, maybe he knows that from time past, Gentiles and Jews, they were at odds with one another, right? They were two people groups that were 
were at odds. And whenever Gentiles come to faith in Christ, Jewish people come to faith in Christ, you've got these two separated people that are like, now we have to be a family together. How do you do that, right? Whenever you've been at odds, how do you be a family together now? And so he's like, we'll take up an offering and I want the Gentile believers to take up a, a collection for the Jewish believers. So, and, and you can imagine what that would be like whenever he shows up to the Jewish people in need and he says, hey, I took this collection from all of the Gentile believers. You want to talk about unifying a people group. That would be one way to do it, right? And so whatever the reason he is doing this, Paul sees a need in Jerusalem and he's taken it upon himself to go and provide for those people in need through a special offering, right? He's saying, hey, church, some of your own out there is suffering, and you have what they need to take care of them. So not only is it your responsibility, but it's also your privilege to take care of them. And guys, that's who we are as a church. We are to take care of one another. There shouldn't be any person in our church that is in need or that is lacking. And if we hear about another person, another believer that's in the city that, that, is, that is hurting, or even a non-believer that is hurting, we have a privilege as a church to take care of people like that. And I love that he brings this up to them right here in this moment. And actually, this is the second time that Paul has mentioned finances and giving to the church. If you remember a few chapters back, he talked to them about how you're supposed to provide for the leaders in the church because they've dedicated their lives to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. And so pull your resources together, give to the church so that the ministry of the church can further go out, right? So that the gospel can go beyond. And we we live that today in our church. We live that exact example in our church. We, we have people in our church who give and it goes into this one big fund. And through that fund, we're able to do like buy a thousand eggs to do a community outreach. We're able to buy candy without to do, we're able to buy chocolate and graham crackers and marshmallows to do some s'mores or hot. And we do all of these things. We're able to help this church building who was in need. They had some things that they had that were in need. And we were like, hey, we've got some money because we have some people who are faithful to give. So we'll put in these new floors for you because you're building is, is not doing so well. We'll put in some new lighting for you guys. We'll help your nursery. We'll, we'll make that look better for you guys as well. And we look for all of these opportunities to be able to help people. But then a couple of weeks ago, we did the second thing that they're doing, which is a special offering. And we took one up for Ukraine because we saw, hey, we've got family over in Ukraine that are suffering. And so let's not, let's not just use the money that's in our budget to go and just give. Why don't we give our church the opportunity to give out of abundance to Ukraine? And then we were able to send money over there as like a special offering to them, right? And, uh, and so we're just following this, this biblical example. And let me just, let me just say right quick, uh, this is going to sound, whoa, is he really just saying that? There's, there's nowhere in the New Testament that tells you a specific amount that you're supposed to give. It's not in there anywhere. And some people you'll hear stand up and say, well, you know, uh, it's got to be 10%. Okay, well, that's, that was in the Old Testament. Like that was part of the Old Testament law. And they're like, oh, well, Jesus told people that they need to give 10%. Ah, uh, Jesus was still living in the law and still telling them to obey the law because it hadn't yet been fulfilled. But whenever the law was fulfilled, 
all of those Old Testament things went away. All of those Old Testament laws went away. And so now it's not like a set amount of, hey, you've got to give 10%. This is what's beautiful about scripture is he says, just give as you prosper. Right here, he says that in, the, in those verses. Give as you prosper. He says, um, uh, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What does that mean, as he may prosper? That means as you have the money to do. That means that there's no set amount to give. Like what I give to our church could be different than what you give. What I give to Ukraine can be different than what you give to Ukraine or whatever else that we're giving to. There are gonna be things that you feel led to give to that our church doesn't necessarily like we don't know about and God just laid it on your heart. Hey, I want you to give. That happens to us all the time. Somebody going on a mission trip, we're trying to raise money. Okay, we feel personally led to give, right? And so we do that as we, as we prosper, right? And so what we give may look different than what anybody else gives, but what scripture talks about is it, is it pretty much just says, no, there's no set amount that you have to give, but it does assume that you will because you want to. It does assume that you're going to because you have a heart for the gospel, you have a heart for the ministry because you love the church that you belong in and you wanna see the church come together and do lots of things together, then that will happen. And look, you, and, and, and if you're kind of new here and you're like, oh man, here we are, man. He's, he's telling everybody to give. Uh, he, he's trying to line his pockets with some money. I'm not standing up here saying give so that I'll make money. Guess how much I get paid from this church? Zero. I make nothing. I make nothing from the money that you guys give, right? Hopefully one day we'll be to a place where I can actually take a salary from here. But right now, God laid another church's heart to give to me and to pay my salary so that I can do this full time. You see how this works? You see how the family of God works? You see how, you see how church works? It's everybody working in unison together and saying, let's just go share the gospel. Let's just go. Let's just go do what matters and let's not let money be an obstacle to what happens, right? And so I love that he reminds them of that. And personally for me, um, he's, so, he's so practical about this because he's like, look, and for me, like I know me, if I don't put that thing away, like at the very beginning and I'm like, okay, let me put some of this, like whenever you get paid and you're like, okay, let me put some of this aside, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna spend it right? And then something's going to come up and it's going to be like, oh, we have an offering for this. And I'm going to go, I don't have any money left to give for this. So I love the, practi the practicality that he has in this. And he's like, look, don't be surprised. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to show up. And then everybody be like, oh my goodness, let me grab a couple of dollars. Like, he's like, like, let's make sure that when I come, you've been diligent to kind of save up that way. Whenever we give, it can be a beautiful gift that we're going to give to those believers in Jerusalem so that we can take care of them. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And I love how God has just designed all of that to stuff, or all of that stuff to work. It reminds me of um, Acts two and three. Whenever the church, the believers were meeting together, and uh, and there was there were some people that were displaced because they showed up because Pentecost happened, and uh, they stayed because they ended up getting saved. They ended up being a part of the church, and then they didn't have anything. And so they were all like, okay, what we're going to do, church, is we're going to pool all of our stuff together, our resources, and then we'll just distribute as people have need, right? 
I love that. God takes care of his people and we are to follow that example and take care of one another, right? Um, and so uh, I, this next part of the convo that he kind of goes into as he's kind of closing things out, right, um, is uh, he kind of uh, tells each other kind of how they need to, to, to come up and visit sometime. Have you ever like been talking to your to your, to your grandparent, you know, and they're like, I don't see you very much anymore. Right? Have you ever had that guilt trip happen to you before? That's happened to me, right? Um, and, uh, and you're just like, well, Papa, I, just, I live in New York, and you're in Oklahoma, so that's a lot of money, right? And I got to take vacation, and I love you, right? But you kind of get this. Um, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, Paul, you can really tell that... Um, Paul wants to go back and visit Corinth. Like right now he's in Ephesus, all right? He's writing back to them, remember, because he heard some things. He got a letter from them. They had some questions. He's writing this letter to them. And right now he's in Ephesus, but he's looking over at them and he's going, man, I really want to be there though because I miss you guys. You guys were my family. Remember, he spent a year and a half in Corinth. He spent a year and a half leading them to Christ, building up a church. And so Paul is looking at them and you can tell that he really wants to go back and see them. And it's, it's, uh, it shows in this next uh, section of scripture here in verse five through, it says, I will visit you after I pass through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey, wherever I go. And this is what, listen to what he says next. He says, for I, I don't want to see you now just in passing. He's like, I don't want to just come and spend a little bit of time with you. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Now there's no doubt that Paul genuinely desired to be with his church family back in Corinth, right? But I want us to look into something because listen to this, rather than desire or emotion, notice what dictates Paul's actions here. It's the Lord's leading. That's what's dictating his actions. Like Paul, we'll talk about it in a second, but he's going through some stuff right now, all right? So in other words, Paul is saying, I want to do this. All right, I want to do this. I want to come and see you. And I think it would be beneficial. And it would be. If Paul got to go and do that and be with them, it would be very beneficial for him because he would receive some encouragement. It would be beneficial for them because they could receive encouragement and instruction. But he's saying, but I can't do just what I think is beneficial. I have to do what is most beneficial. I can't just do something that's beneficial. I have to do what's most beneficial. And what is most beneficial is doing what the Lord has led him to do. You see, oftentimes we aren't led away from doing what is best by following what is worst. You can go to that next slide right there. Oftentimes we aren't led away from doing what is best by following what is worst. In many cases, we are led away from doing what is best by doing what is good. That's interesting. You see, the enemy of best is not worst. Oftentimes the enemy of best is good. Something to think about, something to think about. See, Paul, it would be good for him to go to Corinth 
good would come of it, right? But it wasn't what was best. What was best? Stasis. That's what was best. Why? Because look at what he says. He says, I hope to spend some time with you, but I will stay in Ephesus for now until Pentecost for what? A wide door for effective work has opened to me. So what is the effective work that he's speaking of? What's a whole heap of people who are in a lot of eternal trouble, dead in their sin, just like Paul once was, just like the church in Corinth once was, and they need to hear about all that God has done for them through Jesus. Their eternities depend on it, right? And Tamara and I can certainly identify with this. I know that many of you can certainly identify with this. Some of you guys have been praying for the extreme kind of health difficulties that are going on uh, with Tamara's family, right? They live in Oklahoma. And Tamara's dad, uh, he's, he's only, let's see, he's only 57, okay? He's only 57 years old, and he has to use a walker because he had an injury at work. And he, and he can't feel the left side of his lower body. He, he has to walk with that walk, can't feel it. He just had back surgery last week. Some of you guys have been praying for that. And, 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 he start, and they're hoping that maybe it might get better. But you see, Tamara, she lives all the time with so much guilt because she can't be there with her family. And we do as well. We, we look at her family and we go, man, it would be good if we could go back and be with them. It would be good if we could go take care of her dad so that her mom could work and do what she's supposed to do. And her grandfather is not doing so well either. And he only lives about 20 miles away from them. And and it would be good if we were able to go run errands for them. It would be good if we were able to go and to be there and to take care of them. Our kids would love to be near their grandparents. Our, their grandparents would be, love to be next to their grandchildren, right? And we look at that situation. We said, if we moved to Oklahoma, it would be good. But the truth is it wouldn't be best. It just wouldn't be best. And that's, and that's difficult. That's difficult. And she's even talked to them about the guilt she feels being here and not there. But the resounding answer from them and ultimately from the Lord is, we're going to stay in NYC for now for a wide open door for effective work has opened to us. And so we're going to be here for now. And a lot of people here are in real trouble in this city. And they don't even know it. Just like Tamara and I once were. Just like many of you once were, and they need to hear about all that God has done through Jesus for them. Their eternities depend on it. And I'm sure that whatever plans you're making for your future are good, godly even, but we need to, like Paul, seek not only that which is good, but that which is best. And maybe some of you guys are praying through some things right now. Maybe you guys are praying through, you know, being here or not being here or, or whatever it is. Wherever the Lord leads, that's what's best. So just know and just, just be in tune with where he's leaving, leading because that's where you need to be. If, if God's calling you away from here, staying here would be good, but it might not be what's best. So you just need to be in tune with what God is saying and pray through these things. Seek wise counsel through these things. Go to people that you trust 
people that you know are, are, are men and women of God and, and seek counsel from them and, and, and pray, allow them to pray with you and you pray with them. And that's what we can do together as a church. And that's why we have one another is to talk through these things. But I want to look even deeper at this because as I studied there's this, there's a tiny word that brought me even more conviction. It's the word and, all right? Listen to what it says. He says, I must stay for a wide, a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And there are many adversaries. Are you catching this? His adversaries aren't spoken of as a reason to leave, but as a reason to stay. He's not saying, but there are adversaries here. He's saying, I've got to stay because there's an open door for the gospel here. And my adversaries are here. And there's some adversaries here. And he speaks of those adversaries in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. And we're going to read that. But uh, let me explain something real quick because this can be a little bit confusing. It's confusing. If you've seen the movie um, Inception, we're about to go uh, into some Inception moment uh, for just a second. So the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes from Macedonia. Okay. He writes 1 Corinthians from where? Ephesus, right? So 2 Corinthians is written from Macedonia. Now, the, the scripture that we're about to read, Paul is speaking from Macedonia about the time that he spent in Ephesus, okay? So th- what he's about to say, he's not in Ephesus experiencing it. He's in Macedonia talking about it. But what's interesting about what he's experiencing in Ephesus came right before he uttered these words, that the wide open door for the gospel is here and my adversaries are here. I hope you're tracking with that. I I hope you were able to track with that a little bit. So I'm saying inception. Now come back to the first level of dreams. Here we go. All right. It says this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. We think you ought to know, he's talking to the church in Corinth. This is second letter. Dear brothers and sisters about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. He's talking about Ephesus, right? That's in Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die in Ephesus because of their adversaries. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Man, that could be a whole sermon in itself and it will be one day, all right? But in Acts 19, he also speaks of the opposition they faced in Ephesus. And if you wanna go back and read that chapter, you can, because he talks about some persecution that happens and it was so bad, they felt that they, felt that they were overwhelmed beyond their ability to endure. So while he was in Ephesus, penning a letter to 1 Corinthians, he had just finished experiencing one of, the, one of the most, and Paul's gone through some stuff, right, in his life. But he just finished experiencing something that he didn't think he was going to make it through. That it was beyond his ability to endure and that he expected to die. But through all of that says, I must stay though because there are open doors for the gospel and because of these adversaries. You see, they aren't a reason to leave. They're a reason for him to stay. And there are so many people, maybe including myself, who if in Paul's shoes would look at Corinth, all right, look back at Corinth and go, whew, safety. Let's get there, right? Looks back over in Ephesus and goes, "Uh uh-uh, right? Like I'm experiencing some really hard stuff in Ephesus. 
But then he looks back over in Corinth again, and he's like, man, but that looks, there are a lot of people that would look at Corinth and look back at Ephesus and go, it's time to go, right? And they would pack their bags, and they would head out, and they would go back to Corinth. And maybe, you, maybe look, I, there's a thing that exists among New Yorkers. It's called a checklist, reasons to stay, reasons to go, all right? You ever made one of those before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so, right? So we've got the left-hand column. It's like reasons to leave New York City. And it's like, right? And then you're like, reasons to stay. <laughs> like whatever that one thing is, man. I, I don't know a lot of New Yorkers that are like, I love it here and I want to stay here forever. No, New Yorkers are like Florida, right? So like they out, you know? And uh, it's just true, man. It's just true. But here's the thing. And this hit me like a stinking Mack truck. My adversaries, in other words, the reason to leave this city, they've been on the wrong column the whole time. And they need to go from the column of reasons to leave. And I need to move those people over to the reasons to stay. Whatever my adversaries are, whoever my adversaries are, I need to see them like Paul sees his adversaries in Ephesus as a reason to stay. Jesus looked at his adversaries. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus said to his adversaries, right? So our adversaries... They're not reasons to leave. They're linked to our mission, right? And let's continue on. Next, he confronts a little bit of family drama, right? Because when you hang up the phone, there's always a little bit of family drama that needs to be spoken of. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, in verses 10 through 11, let's read this for just a second. He says, when Timothy comes, so he's sending Timothy to them though, to Corinth, okay? He's like, Timothy comes, and let me back up because I assume everybody knows who Timothy is. Timothy was a person who came to faith uh, under Paul and, uh, and Paul got to disciple him, right? Paul often refers to him in scripture as his son in the faith, all right? So he got to disciple him. Timothy's with him in Ephesus right now. And he's saying, hey, I want you to go back to Corinth. So he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, Timothy is a very young minister of the gospel, probably younger than a lot of the believers that are at the church in Corinth. And he asked, Ask the church not to intimidate him, probably because of his age, all right? Um, because if you guys remember in 1 Timothy, what is, like, as Timothy starts to, as we find out, spoiler alert, he starts to pastor the church in Ephesus. He's called to pastor that church. And, uh, and whenever he starts to pastor that church, Paul is like, I'm going to write you a letter as some, like, instruction and some guidelines on how to pastor a church. And one thing that he tells Timothy is, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth, right? Well, what does he say to them right here? He's like, hey, guys, Timothy's going to be coming to you right now. Don't despise him. Why? Well, probably because he's a young guy that's coming to hang out with them. And one thing that we always need to, always need to remember is I know that we often equate age with wisdom, but let's not ever negate the wisdom of the young as well. How many of you guys have ever been taught a lesson by someone younger than you? Yeah, me too. There are some people that are in the faith that are younger than I am that I just want praying for me, right? People that are younger in the faith than I am that I just will call for wisdom sometimes. And, and he's telling them, hey, uh, please don't do that to him, right? 
listen to him because he's a wise, wise individual. And then uh, in verse 12, continuing a little bit of the family drama, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. I don't know how you guys read that, but I read it as I asked Apollos to come and he was like, I don't want to. Like, that's pretty much what Apollos is saying right here, right? And you're like, why in the world would he not want to go? Well, if you guys remember in the first couple of chapters um, of 1 Corinthians, what was, the church was, is massively divided right now. And they were bragging about who they follow. Oh, I follow this person. I follow this person. Who was one of the people they said they follow? Apollos was one of them. And so I think Apollos is looking at them right now and going, I'm not going there. Because they're just going to idolize me. I want to get away from that. I don't want to be a stumbling block from them. I think it's kind of big of him uh, to kind of stay behind. Um, now, uh, is that the reason he didn't? Maybe not. Maybe his tummy hurt. I don't know. But, like, I think maybe that has something to do with it. Now, next, he's going to give them five things to remember. All right? And these are five things that I want us all to remember as well as the church. Remember, the scriptures, they were written to a specific audience, okay? For this time in this context. But God is so sovereign that he also wrote these scriptures to encompass all time as well. And so we can look into this and we say, okay, what, what is, what, how does this apply to us? Listen to what he says. He says in verse uh, 13, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. That's what it says in verse 13, all right? Now, these, these five things, they sum up the message of the book of 1 Corinthians. If you think about it, it sums it up. And they are each things that we should also always remember. Let's look at the first one real quick. He's reminding them, and God's reminding us right now, be watchful, right? Be on guard is what it's saying, all right? On guard against what exactly? Well, everything in this life that tries to take your attention away from all that God has called you to do. That's what you're to be watchful of. That's what you're to be on guard against, right? I said this a thousand times and I'll keep saying it again. The greatest thing that the enemy can do in the life of a believer is not take away their salvation. That's not possible. The greatest thing an enemy can do is render a believer ineffective, to put them on the bench, to put them on the sidelines, so that they're not doing anything but just watching. Why? Because they're harmless to the enemy. Somebody on the sideline is absolutely harmless, and the enemy is like, don't got to mess with that person. In fact, let's not, because it might drive them back to the Lord, right? And so that's something that we always need to remember. We need to be watchful. We need to be on guard. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, we see similar words, right? It says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary... How's that word again? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? So the greatest way to be watchful or sober-minded is exactly what we mentioned last week. We preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And in doing so, we will have discernment and we will have clarity. So how can, how can we be watchful? How can we be on guard? Man, we preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And when we do that, we're going to be ready for whatever it is that comes our way, right? And then the second one, he says, he says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, 8, uh, 5, 9 follows with this. We just read 5, 8 about be on watch. In 5, 9, he says this, but resist him firm in your faith, right? 
Resist him firm in your faith. So, in other words, he's reminding them to be immovable and confident in their faith. How, how can we be firm in our faith? We, how, we, we remain immovable and we remain confident in our faith. Their faith in God, their faith in Christ, and in their faith as believers. Don't let anyone cause you to doubt or question what you know is true. It's okay to doubt and question, but don't let anyone come in and make you doubt or question what you know is true, all right? Don't do that. Be, be immovable. Stand firm in the faith, all right? Uh, and then he says in, uh, this is the third, the fourth one I'm kind of putting together because these are often paired in scripture, even in other places, be strong and courageous. He's reminding them, hey, church in Corinth, if I could say anything to you to, to kind of wind this down and to kind of summarize and remind you, be strong and courageous as well. And so many times we see this in scripture, be strong. This doesn't mean try in your own power to do things, but rather trusting in the power of Lord, right? Listen to what, listen to this um, statement next. Our greatest strength comes in the form of trust, right? How can we be strong? We trust, okay? And then he says also be courageous as, right? And I want to kind of define courage for us also, um, and I'll have it here on the screen for you. Courage is not the absence of fear, okay? But the resolve to face challenges in the midst of it, all right? That's what being courageous is, okay? So that's something that we need to remember. It's something that they needed to remember uh, because there are a lot of reasons to fear. And Paul knows something about that. There are a lot of reason, reasons to be a coward. And Paul knows something about that. To be weak in a moment, he knows something about that. We probably do too, but we trust the Lord in all of that. And it gives us strength and courage. And then he says, number five, the thing he ends with, and we've heard this, we've heard him say this three or four times in this, chat, in, in this book alone. He says, let all that you do be done in love. All that you do be done in love. This is, you know, in this book alone, he, how many times have we read? We, we got done reading 1 Corinthians 13, right? where he, de he defined what love is. And he was like, look, be these things. It doesn't matter what your spiritual gifts are. Like, be these things, be love. And he says, the greatest thing that you can do is to love other people. Everything else is worthless unless you love other people. And that's what he wants to remind them one last time. Let all that you do be done in love, all right? And, and we also need to make sure, just, just remember, it, it needs to be God's definition of love and not man's definition of love, all right? Because... They can go against each other sometimes. And then I'll just summarize these, uh, these last um, several verses. Uh, in verse 15 through 16, he tells him to listen to and seek wise counsel of believers in the church and submit to those that are older and more mature than they are. That's something that we um, can definitely do. Uh, and then in verse 17 through 18, he mentions how grateful he is and how refreshing it is and good for his soul to see friends from Corinth that delivered the letter to him that he's replying to right now. Um, and he's like, man, it was, it was sure good to see them. And then finally, he ends with the uh, tell everyone there hello and everyone here says hello, right? That's, that's, how I, that's how you end phone conversations right there. Say hi to your mom for me, right? You ever said that before? Sure. Here's what he says. Let's read this together because these are the final 19, 20, 21, final three verses. I had to use my fingers to count that. Final three verses of uh, 1 Corinthians. And here's what it says. The churches of Asia... 
send you greetings. That's where he is. Aquila and Priscilla, ah, oh, they're there with him too. Together with the church in their house, cool. Send, your, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now look, remember context, all right? Let's not get weird about things, okay? Man, I remember being in youth and there was just this weird kid that walked around. We're supposed to greet each other with a holy kiss. They're like, I'll give you a holy punch in the face. That's what I'll give you. But like, but it, but, but like read that as, hey, man, give each other, what, what, what was the old way they said it in church? The right hand of Christian fellowship right? Shake a hand, right? Like, we'll take it that way, all right? Ain't nobody kissing nobody else unless your spouse is, okay? Um, but he says, greet each other with, with a holy kiss. Like, really, really have an affection for one another. Really, really be genuine about how you see each other and about how you greet each other. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And uh, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I love that at the end of this letter, Paul can tell them, I love you. Because there are a lot of instances in this letter where we've read through this and we're like, he mad. <laughs> like, he real mad, right? We're like, he don't love them. He's so mad at them right now. But even after all of these things that they were struggling with, and after all of these things that he has had to reprimand them for and remind them of, at the end of the day, he looks at them and he just goes, but I love you. I love you guys. And he's like, and I want to be with you. I just can't right now because I've got to be somewhere else. And I love, love his heart. So for this chapter, let's remember these takeaways, all right, that we'll have. One, the importance of giving as we have friends, all right? Number two, to do what is not just good, but what is best, even if it's hard. Number three, that our adversaries are a part of our mission. Let's always remember that. Number four, to be watchful, to stand firm in our faith, to be strong and courageous, trusting in the Lord. And then finally, most of all, church, to let all we do be done in love. Let's make sure that that defines hope community, all right? Let everything that we do be done in love, all right? Our theme throughout this entire chapter was what word? Do you guys remember? Represent, right? Represent. And I think that living by those principles we will find ourselves looking more like Jesus and representing very well a gospel to that so badly needs it. So with that, we close the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been a good book. It's been a lot of fun going through these things. And uh, God has taught us, he's taught me a whole, whole lot through it. And I hope that he's taught you a whole, whole lot through it as well. All right. So we're going to close out in prayer. And uh, so if you guys would just bow your heads for a second, I want to give you guys just an opportunity uh, to, to just kind of respond to the Lord right now with maybe whatever it is that you've heard, just in a, just in a time of prayer, just you and him right there. Maybe there's something through the course of this message today or through the course of maybe the, the music today that God's been kind of dealing with you a little bit about. I don't know what it is, but I do want to give you the opportunity. Not, I don't want you to walk out of here and never deal with it, never talk to him about it. So we're going to take this opportunity right now to respond to him to, with whatever it is that he's been showing us through this. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at 
hopecommunitynyc.com. 